welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another icon series this is obviously an amazing series i've had some of the most fascinating people that i've ever met on this series of podcasts and i'm so excited that we finally hooked up again i'm sitting down here in frank zane's personal training area with all your awesome i'd call them relics these things have power between your guitars bows Three Mr. Olympia trophies sitting over here, all of your gadgets, and we've been talking for about 30 minutes already since I showed up. It's like, I can't believe it's been that long since I've been here. It's been a while. And I'm like, we need to just start recording. So it's, we're older now than, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, than, than when we first met at the, uh, at the Arnold Classic when archery first went there and you and I hooked up and um, I was probably the most fit archer on that line. Would you say easily? easily. <laughs> you know, I found one of one of your old emails from 2005 about uh, shooting a recurve and how to release yep. you know, where your hand should go when you release. That was pretty interesting. I saved that. Yeah. it's There's a lot that's changed, but I, uh, I can't thank you enough for how much you changed my life in fitness. Um, and you made my archery better just because your whole, your whole outlook on bodybuilding, it seems so much different than what you see today. I mean, everything that you taught me probably not only helped me still be able to shoot archery the way I do at my age right now. But I also feel like it made me better because your way of, of fitness really accelerated my mind and muscle understanding and the connection and your principles on rest principles on meditation all these things just completely changed it so i don't even know where to start well you know i have something i call it the uh, bodybuilding equation yep and well i was a mathematics teacher for 13 years in public schools and so i sort of relate to things mathematically and the bodybuilding equation says your progress in in bodybuilding is equal to the product of your exercise how how much you put into your exercise your attitude your positive attitude yep. your recuperation your relaxation and then your nutrition yeah p equals earn earn right and then if you take the n for nutrition and put that first you have near which means your progress are going to be nearer to you to being achieved when you put nutrition first which is pretty much what it's all about. You know, you can train and train and train, but if you're not on a good nutritional program, not much is going to happen, especially as you get older. Yep. Now, I'm 77 now, and I know that if I didn't eat right, you know, I wouldn't be in any kind of shape, you know. So basically, I don't eat too much anymore, and what I do eat is calorically dense. Yeah. 
But uh, everything I do is, is pretty much balanced. Like the exercise part is, uh, the exercise variable of that equation is uh, weight training, aerobics, stretching, and posing. They're all forms of exercise. Yep. Weight training, of course, you have the movements. The stretching, we do that between sets. The aerobics, we, you know, I do. I basically walk a couple miles every morning with the dogs. And then uh, the uh, the posing is interesting too because posing is a form of isometric exercise that most people think it's just for competitors. Well, that's what bodybuilding competitors do, but really it's a fantastic form of exercise for everybody. I just wrote a book on that that's going to be out soon called 31 Day Wonder Posing. It's how to learn how to pose in three months. And it's whole workouts based on posing and then stretching too. And I think a person get in great shape just just posing and stretching well i know stretching was a huge life changer for me um you really you really taught me how to stretch continually throughout my exercise not to the point where it was deep 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 stretching but stretching out and elongating that muscle and allowing it to fill with blood between sets was a game changer for me and and more importantly from an archery point of view i remember many times when i would go to foreign countries i i would remember other foreign coaches coming over and taking pictures and watching me shoot on the practice line and i remember i can't countless times i remember hearing coaches his muscle is too much to ever be good but it's because they're probably used to muscle that didn't have mm. range, right? Or flexibility. What gets me is I see these guys with big bellies mm-hmm. shooting and they're pretty good. I'm thinking, well, how much better could they be if they worked out a little <laughs> bit and got in better shape? Well, I use, I give you credit, but there's certain, there's certain times where, when I work with teams for long periods of time, I use that earn part of your equation. And I tell people that, and and um, when we get to the E, the exercise, because most people don't like to really hear that in the archery world, mm-hmm. I tell them, because at that point we've talked about practice, so I've gone through shooting steps, I've gone through the fundamentals of form, and so then when we get to the to that exercise portion, I say, okay, so you remember step one of the shot process is check your stance. And I said, if you can't see your feet, then this is a prime example of why <laughs> you need this, you know? And, and so I tell people, I'm like, you know, you have to be able to see your feet. If you can't see your feet, you're limiting your, your possibilities in archery. And I strongly believe that I think on perfectly flat, flat archery ranges, indoor events or perfectly flat fields. I think you can essentially get away with, not being fit but when you get into um, any type of a field course element where there's incline and decline and the body's in different positions I just I I couldn't wait for those opportunities to to maximize you know my my e you know the exercise portion of that there's not one area in life that that's not important the exercise, all those elements of that equation. No matter what you're doing, you, you'll do it better if, if you pay attention to, you know, 
training and diet and attitude and relaxation, all that. Can we go back? I don't, there's probably some stories I may have forgot them, but I would like to hear them again. I know my, my listeners would love to hear this because I think what you bring to the table in this series is you've got this amazing life cycle that, you know, like you said, it, it, you were a teacher, obviously you're a Mr. Olympia. You, you still are credited, you know, with, which you told me you sometimes laugh at the symmetry thing. You're always credited because you're the, you were the most symmetry, uh, had the most symmetry, but where did it all start? And just where you've become like what ingrained those, like your discipline on the training and then also when did the meditation portion and your whole body awareness side of things, not just trying to power through weight, when did all that stuff happen? It all started, I was about 14 years old that I discovered uh, meditation, yoga, archery. I was interested a little before that, of course, weight training and uh you know, playing harmonica and, and all that stuff sort of came together at the same time. And then I just continued it. What started it though? I mean, how did, cause all those things are, you still do that today, a hundred percent, right? All that stuff yeah. is still part still of do. your life. So how did all that come together? Were you in Pennsylvania then? Yeah. Okay. I grew up in Pennsylvania. You know, I, I, I guess my father had a lot to do with it. He wasn't really uh, that affectionate or attentive to me. But he did do things that influenced me. Like when I was 10, he bought me a harmonica. Okay. And then I learned how to play it. Yeah. I remember he was a, a television repairman. And when I was real young, I used to sit and play with the, the, the cartons from, test, from tubes, mm-hmm. from vacuum tubes. And then all of a sudden it wasn't there anymore. And I asked him what happened. He said, well, you never put them away. So I put them away. And I was really disappointed. But then a couple of days later... I had an erector set, which I built fantastic structures. Yeah. And so it was all these things from an early age. I got very interested in building things. And my younger brother was very interested in destroying all the things that I built. <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of like I spent, I don't think he ever got in a fight, but I'd gotten a lot of fights defending him. I don't think he ever did. He was diplomatic, and uh, but in the process of having to fight, I I wanted a way to build myself up and so I started working out I bought a set of dumbbells and started working out my father didn't approve of it either and so I would uh, do it when they weren't my father wasn't around and I built myself up and then I didn't have to worry about fighting because I my appearance had changed so much in a short period of time just a couple weeks I was getting lats and deltoids and all that really yeah and it just came right out so your body was just like it was a hundred percent natural of if, if you start putting in some work, I'm going to show you immediate results. Yeah. And then I discovered there was such a thing as bodybuilding competitions and being in Pennsylvania and under the influence of York barbell club, you know, mm-hmm. wasn't that far. It was about 120 miles from where I lived. I would go to the contests and my first contest was a, a amateur contest near Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I was, pumping out backstage and it was like 50 guys in the show and Bob Hoffman the father of American weightlifter came by me and he said to me young man if I had a physique like yours 
I'd walk around with my shirt off all the time. <laughs> and that was all I had to hear. <laughs> now somebody has really validated me. And and that lasted that was the main thing right there. You know, and I didn't stick around with the AAU very long because they were more weightlifting oriented than bodybuilding. And I switched over to IFPB, which was just getting started at the time. And uh, you know, I mean there were opportunities there and I, I, I grew in the competitions and you know you know got to know Joe Weeder and he moved to California with the organization and I eventually ended up there. Nineteen sixty nine I landed in Santa Monica, trained with Arnold Schwarzenegger for a couple of years and uh was part of that scene in the nineteen seventies, what we call the golden age of bodybuilding. Yeah. And it was, those were great times. And I miss all those guys that were around then. They were like father figures for me, like Zabel Kazuski, our photographer, Artie Zeller, mm -hmm. Armin Tanny, George Eiferman, Reg Park. Yeah. Great guys. I mean, these guys stood on their shoulders, but they, they established everything. It was that, that, that generation that went before us that really cemented the principles and did all the training at Steve Reeves, Larry yeah, Scott, yeah, yeah. you know. What what wonderful people they were, and they always they helped me a lot. They really did. What was some of the best advice you got early that you feel like really paved the way for for where you ended up? Well, who, I remember who did it come from. Well, it was when I first came. Gold's Gym was only about four years old at the time in 1969, and I came there, and I was. Already in, just one IFBB Mister Universe in 1968, the year before. And Did so, you beat Arnold that year? That's the year I beat Arnold. Okay. And uh, of course he wasn't in shape for that. When he got to California, he had the sweetest deal ever that Weeder ever gave him. That <laughs> uh, he totally all expenses paid. Not that, that it was a lot, but it was enough yeah. for him to just train all the time. And you know, I, I sort of hooked up with that. But I had to have a job. I got a job teaching math in Venice, and did that for eight years. And in the meantime. My bodybuilding career developed. I won Mr. Universe two more times. And then in 1977, I took a sabbatical from teaching and won my first Olympia in 77 and then go back and then won it again in 78 and 79. And that was the start of it. Ever since that, I've been sort of like a professional. Basically, I focused on spreading my knowledge of, of training and bodybuilding and nutrition and all that to others that I offer a program I call the Zane Experience yep. at my facility here near San Diego. And uh, I've I've trained a lot of people since oh, I started. Man. Well over 3,000 face-to-face, I'd say. Yeah. But I think that's more or less my mission is to... I want to keep putting out all the methods of bodybuilding that work because there's a lot of counterfeit stuff out there. Yeah, I'm in the same position. Yeah. So I want to get it out there to the public of this is what really works and just give it a chance and... What do you really need to pay attention to? And I, I stress this a lot with everybody I work with. It's not about measurements or what you look like in the mirror. It's about the way other people see you. And so what you really need to do is take photographs of yourself over time and you'll see what you look like and how your body's changing. And not only that, you have a record of yourself. Yeah. Nobody does that. Yeah. I did it. That's, that's how I did it. Yeah. I remember the very first time I came here, you took me into some of the all the old slides mm -hmm. that Christine took, all because you have tens of thousands of photos. I have a lot. That, that I mean, many that people have never seen, and you were showing me these just boxes of negatives, and you said, 
I took we were I was fanatical about pictures. You you said I always knew what my progress was exactly and I incorporated that immediately into my archery because I feel like that ability to document it's a very very critical component to to self-image and imprinting the correct thing into what you want to be so especially now with phones i tell people I'm like if you do something good or like what you're doing take pictures of yourself shooting yep. you know before you at, go and ask someone what am i doing wrong you need to be able to take a picture of yourself, yourself and diagnose yourself of man i don't look like i don't for some reason i don't look right my shoulders high my elbows bent this time the strings behind my nose there's so many things that you can self-diagnose by getting in the habit of continually taking pictures. I remember when I, I came to see you when, when you lived in Wisconsin mm -hmm. and we did some shooting and you filmed me with your with your camera and showed me that. And I was like, well, this is he's right on with this. This you, is what you should be doing. You I know? remember you told me that because yeah. you came to me first, didn't you? Yeah. And then you said, you need to come out to me and, and do my experience. So then when I came out here... It was, it was really neat how many things were similar in the documentation of development, your, your whole method of having a, a regimen with a purpose, like your training always had a purpose, and then uh, your ability to have something that you do that gets your mind off of, mm -hmm. off of your daily grind of this thing that's consuming your life as a sport and then and then your rest you know your rest and for you your art or your guitars are kind of that that outlet well archery is too yeah you know when you're out there shooting focus is the main thing you know when you're training with weights that's one reason why i'm good at this because i really have good focus mm -hmm. but i can't i'm not good at multitasking you know i, I can't really do more than one thing at a time but I can train because it's all focused right there. And when I'm shooting, basically that comes into play too. So when when I can just focus on the bullseye and, and do everything correctly and the arrow goes where I want it to go, that's a tremendously satisfying feeling for me. Plus, uh, you know, it takes your mind off everything else. What was your first bow? Uh, a root 50-pound pull recurve. <laughs> I love that you Nin remember this stuff. 19 in the 50s. In the 50s. What, did you shoot first in Boy Scouts? Yeah. Do I remember? I was an archery instructor at Boy Scout camp when my junior and senior years in high school, and that's the bow I was shooting there. And We used to shoot the junior American round on a 48-inch target on 30, 40, and 50 yards. And I'd, I set up an archery course right alongside the river, and it was, it was really nice. I loved it. And you, you told me about time. I th I think you wanted to keep training weights during your camps. Did you tell me you yeah. used to carry a fifty pound weight in a pillowcase everywhere you went? Well, I hitchhiked home on weekends because it was in the Pocono Mountains, and I lived in Wyoming Valley, which is about twenty five miles away. And I'd put all my weights and dumbbell in, in the pillowcase and hitchhike with that home because <laughs> I didn't have any weight. I had all with me there, and I, I was my one dumbbell gym. <laughs> you told me you did uh, you said i i've done tremendous workouts with one weight you said i would work every muscle left right 
you know, uh-huh. forward and back, every single one with one dumbbell. Do you think that's a big reason why you did have the type of symmetry that you had? Well, I think it gets to more muscles. And that's the thing, you know, when you think about it, when you're doing, let's say, a, a one-arm dumbbell curl, all the blood is going to that arm. Yeah. But when you're doing, let's say, two-arm dumbbell curl, you're splitting it up. And so I got into this system of training. I, I called it uh, uh, one-sided, the one-sided workout, where you do it with one dumbbell, and you work just your right side, your biceps and your triceps, and maybe some delta, a little bit deltoid lateral raises. And you just do that in one workout. And you let the blood settle. And later that day or the next day, and work the other side. Yeah. And I've never really done it that way for too long. But when I did, and I've had other people do it, they make tremendous progress because that if you let all the the blood congest in one area, and get a tremendous pump, and let it just sit there, and let it, you know, don't move it around. Yeah. I think one of the things in bodybuilding that doesn't work so well is when you work let's say calves and deltoids in the same workout. Yeah. You want to keep the area and the blood in the same area so it can do its its work. It's got to create a, 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 a situation of micro trauma where the blood goes out and it, it ruptures the ends of capillaries. Then the capillaries grow back. They start yeah. branching out and you achieve cross capillarization, which is the best thing you could do because that's how nutrients get to the cells and how waste products are removed through the bloodstream yeah and so the more vascularity you have through your body the better off you're going to be yeah yeah that's that was one thing you taught me too and i and it went along you taught me that at the same time you taught me that it's not about how much how heavy the weight is that you're moving it's about how heavy you can make the weight feel yeah and that made it a lot easier for me to stay consistent in my commitment to to staying in shape because it allowed me to start being able to work out the same when I was on the road mm-hmm. you know because it's hard when you when you're on the road sometimes most of the time you go into a hotel and they've got 50 pound dumbbells that's it like that's their max right or they have a maybe a, a small you know, cable machine or something and it's limited on weight or there's times where I know I'm not going to have any weights at all. So I just take a heavy bungee strap and just implementing those same principles is it allows you to, to stay, it allows you to keep your momentum going as, you know, with your commitment to what you're trying to do. Cause yeah. it's the long periods of stopping and especially for people that are busy in business you know, it's, you have to learn how to, you have to learn how to be able to work out in different places. And then you taught me as well. Um, and I remember this, you were trying to explain to me, you know, it's not like you can't only eat the right way when you're at home. Like you need to, and especially back then I was on three different tours. You told me you have to figure out a way to where you can keep your body under, you know, doing the same things, even when you're on the road. And I think, I don't know if I asked you to write it down or if you said you were going to write it down, but either way I said, actually the best way for me to learn is for us to do. And so you took me to the, you took me to the grocery store and I said, how would you shop? You know, that was a life changer. Huh? 
I remember I was at your house in in, uh, in Wisconsin at that time, and you, before bed you're having a white bread sandwich, <laughs> <laughs> and I objected. <laughs> but you know, the, getting back to the weight training, I noticed one thing, and the thing is, I, I I'm a good observer. I think that's what made me successful. I'm a good focus, and I'm a good observer too. And so I noticed that in my own workout, I may be doing three sets of an exercise and I'm working, going heavier every set. The first set, you know, I'm doing more reps and it feels good. Then I increase the weight to the second set, feels really good. And then increase the weight to the third set. And I noticed that I'm not feeling it in as much in the muscle as I am in the joint. Yep. Mm-hmm. When you start going heavy, the, mu- the joint takes over, yep. and that's why you maybe see some weightlifters. They don't really seem like they have much muscle, but they have tremendous tendon and ligament strength because of the heavy weights. Yeah. And see, as bodybuilders, we're not so much about that. And really, you know, I've been doing this so long, I, I've, I've a lot of injuries that I've learned from, of course. I wish I didn't have them, but, you know, I'm, I learned to work around them and do an exercise that don't don't tax the area. But I what one of the things I do is I combine latex rubber cables with... The, as part of the weight training movement, like if you have a machine with a weight stack, I just wrap the cable around the weight stack. So as the weight stack goes up, the ca- stretches the cable, and you fill in the dead spots caused by gravity. You know all yeah. the all the the, the tension uh, for in, in in weight training exercises is due to gravity. Yeah. And there are there are exercises that gravity. You know you lose the gravity effect. Mm-hmm. And if you can combine that with a rubber cable, you have a very efficient method of training. And so I'd say one of the best things you could do if you're on the road is take take a set of rubber, like you got your bungee mm-hmm. cord or a set of rubber cables and, and do that. If you did that and you tensed the muscles and posed and stretched, you'd have a great routine. Mm-hmm. you get good shape like that. If you were to go back to when you were 14, um, is there anything that you would do different? If you look at your, you have an amazing career, obviously, in, in, in the bodybuilding. So it's you might not be the right person to even ask this to, but is there anything that you would do different as a competitor or within that field? Are there anything like, are there say gaps in certain years where you, you kind of lost focus on life or you made, you made life choices that you think Hmm. might've been better? Yeah, there's a lot. I think in general, I wish that I never really, trained as heavy as I did because it led to injuries and now I'm you know I, I injuries don't go away you know you, you can get over them but they, they're still in latent form waiting yeah. to happen again yeah and so I sort of wish I never did that but you know it was a learning experience you don't know at first I mean you don't know anything think about it what do you know right now nothing <laughs> <laughs> nothing you have no proof of anything you have to go in there and experiment and find out and hopefully in that experiment, you don't do any damage. Yep. But inevitably, there's always something that goes wrong. Yeah. You know, like uh, your focus shifts when you're doing exercise, you can get an injury. You wobble out of the groove, you get an injury. And I've had all that happen. And one of the things was when I, when I moved to California, I was working as a full-time math teacher mm-hmm. for eight years. And these guys I trained... Arnold, Dave Draper, these guys didn't work. Yeah. That's what they did. They worked out. I worked out too, but also had a job. Uh, yeah. You know, from seven to three every day, five days a week, I was teaching school. And then I'd either train before or after school or both. And then in the summers, of course, I had that off, which was great because I could just focus on my training. And I did. 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I was able to win top titles while not really a true professional, just sort of, you know, more like an amateur than anything else going in, contest, in professional contests. But, you know, I'm, I'm very, I think I'm very lucky in bodybuilding because I never, fortunately, I discovered what to do. I wanted to get big. I really did at first, but I couldn't. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't work. I mean, I tried it. I bulked up a couple of times and I just looked terrible. You know, when you gain weight fast, most of that weight goes to the central part of your body, which is not the area that you want to, you know, your torso, your your, your butt, your waist, your, your pecs, your traps yeah. get bigger and thicker, and that just makes you look blockier. Yeah. What you really need is to develop the extremities like deltoids, uh, forearms, upper arms, calves, hams, those areas are showcase muscles. Abs, of course, are very important. And so it's sort of like what kind of illusion can you create with your development? Mm -hmm. And I think Lee Haney always called me when he says, hey, master of illusion. And <laughs> <laughs> I felt like saying, yeah, you're master of delusion. But I never did. Uh, hope he doesn't take it the wrong way if he hears this. But anyway, yeah, he was He was very fun. nice. He was at our table that time at that private party. Uh, yeah, I like Lee. I like Lee. Yeah, he's he was, a good he guy. Was very kind. But he won Mr. Olympia like eight years in a row. He's, oh yeah, he really, uh, really had some muscle on him. And because uh, you told me one time you decided to go in over two, over two hundred at an event because you really felt like if you just had that mass. Yeah. But you said nineteen eighty two. But you said you regretted it. Yeah, I could have won the Olympia that year. That was nineteen eighty two, and I wanted to weigh two hundred for the show, and I did. And, you know, I mean, I was I had a lot of size, but, you know, it wasn't me. I mean, re remember Ricky Wayne, who was editor of Muscle and Fitness at the time, he says to me at the show, he says, do some typical Frank Zane poses because nobody recognizes you. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, what have I done? Yeah, and I, after I saw the shots, there were a lot of poses I didn't like because a lot of that weight was in the central part of the body. My mm -hmm. waist was bigger, you know, my, everything was bigger. But, you know, just the proportion and the shape. I really liked that leaner look for me. It worked for me. Yeah. And it was something that I could look good in, whereas I couldn't look good the other way. So it was more or less of trying to be that way, but not really succeeding in, in falling back on what I thought I could do well. And then I just stayed with that and, you know, it paid off. Were you working out full time that year? Was that one of the first years you went away from, from teaching? Where you had actually seventy seven was the first year I went away. I had on sabbatical leave and then I never went back and so I won at seventy seven, seventy eight, seventy nine. And then life sort of stepped in and I had a bad accident before the nineteen eighty Olympia. Uh you know what was it? Oh, I fell into a swimming pool and smashed my urethra. And uh, you know, I was like two oh five before that happened. I was in incredible shape. Just perfect spot to be in eight weeks before the competition instead I had this accident and I sort of related it to being angry okay I learned about negative body metaphors this okay is, this yeah because is yeah let's get into that negative body metaphor so basically I'm in Palm Springs ready to go out and tan which is what I did and I'm thinking oh shit another eight weeks of torture that's all I have to look forward to. This is all I ever do. I'm lucky my wife doesn't leave me. This is all I do. Train, train, train. Everything about this all the time. And went out to lay in the pool. Angry, feeling angry. 
And so I sat into a, a, a lightweight lawn chair on the wet astroturf surrounding the pool. And as I did, it slid into the pool and the edge of the pool caught me right behind the testicles and smashed my urethra. And I came out of the pool and I, blood was gushing out of my penis. Rushed to the hospital, lost a lot of blood, went into shock, saw the clear light, was ready to go. Are you kidding? No, me? I was. I was ready to go. So, take, Lord, take me. I'm ready. I mean, I forget all this stuff. I don't want to too much, too much stress. Take. I, I'm, I'm through with this. And then I woke up in pain. <laughs> God said, I guess we don't want you yet. Stay and do some good. And so, you know, I did, I recovered, and then I'm laying in the hospital, and I called Arnold, because we always used to go to him after we retired in 1975 for advice. You know, yeah. we'd go over there and pose, and he'd tell us every little thing that was wrong with what we're doing, and yeah. we needed that. Yeah. And so I, went, I called him on the phone, and I said, did you hear what happened to me? He says, yeah, the rumor at Gold's Gym is that you took so much steroids that your dick exploded. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, that, that, that's not quite correct. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, what do you think I should do? And he says, you should go to Australia and defend your title, 1980 Mr. Olympia. And I said, are you going to Australia to compete? You're training pretty hard now, I notice. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be over there doing commentary, but I'm just getting in shape for the Conan movie. And so, you know, I, I worked out and everything, and I still got in great shape that year, but I was about 15 pounds lighter. Yeah. You know, I could have weighed 200 for that or 198. Instead, I weighed about 180, 180 183. And I was still impressive at a lot of it. My face was a death mask from all the stress. <laughs> and, you know, I, got, I think I got third place, and it was devastating for me but I, I i learned the lesson is um i created my own self-fulfilling prophecy yep you know basically um what's the metaphor for being angry what what is, what do people say when they're angry sometimes they say that pisses me off yeah okay and so I went out and I was terribly pissed off and I actually actualized that because my <laughs> yeah. pissing was as off as it could be having a catheter in me for a week after that. But I went in a contest anyway. Yeah. You know, the, the intelligent thing to do now, you know, genius in, in retrospect was, would have been not to go in that year. Yeah. Sit it out. Go in 1981. In 1981, Arnold had won it in 1980 questionably. In 1981, he held the door open for his buddy, Franco. Hey, Franco, come on. And Franco goes in and wins it over Danny Padilla, people who are in great shape, and he wasn't anywhere near that. One, act, one leg from his accident, he had the world's strongest man. It just, you know, he, he wasn't at his best. Yeah. And he won it anyway. Yeah. And I, if I was there, I would have wiped that whole field out. Yeah. But uh, that year, I didn't compete. They should have turned it around. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, you never know beforehand, you know, you just have nothing to go on and you go by people you trust and sometimes you, they're not trustworthy. Oh, yeah. As in this case. It's such a, it's such a valid life lesson to come to realize that the things that you continually say when you're griping about it, it never, 
affects your life in a positive way. No. You are in a downward spiral, spiral. And until you start to talk about things in a positive light, that's the only way you're going to change things around. That's right. You know, you get around employees that are just, it's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm going down a, just a hallway of death every time I talk to this guy. It's so negative. And he doesn't realize that he's, he's, he's like self-fulfilling what he's complaining about sure is. you know you know it's almost like there's no such thing as partial negativity you feel it everywhere yeah you can't just be a little negative you're either negative or you're not and yeah. so you know you gotta and it starts with you know with your speech with actually the way you think mm -hmm. and then the way you talk and that that manifests as your behavior so was that the the life changer for you when when that happened is that when you started to realize what you're saying vocally will yeah come to be at some point yes but you know i knew better i knew better because i realized in 1976 that if i said my mantra constantly or as much as possible i would create that kind of effect and i did that especially Were you meditating hard by that? yeah a lot when did that start oh well so when i was 14 but i just got stayed with it all that time but in 1979, uh, I prepared for the Olympia that year like a monk in a cave. I had a place in Palm Springs that I went to get sun. And I was over there for the last month. I was just training and meditating and sunbathing all day long. And I realized that when I was sunbathing, if I, was, if I let my mind wander and think about what-if situations, uh, what if Robbie Robinson, you know, what if this, what, that had nothing to do with it. Only thing that mattered was what I was going to mm -hmm. be like. Yep. And the more I focused on that and something positive, so I said my mantra continuously. I didn't. I just said it the whole three months. And toward the end of that that month, I was there. I was so high from doing that; nothing could bring me down. I was just totally positive. What was your mantra? It's it's called the Nembutsu. Namu Amida Butsu is is the translation. It means uh, infinite light, boundless life. I take refuge in infinite light and boundless life. How many times do you think you said that to yourself over that over that training cycle? Yeah, I still do it now. It's probably 30, 40 million times. Jeez. I say it every morning for, you know, and then during the day, that's what these beads are for. Yeah, yep. You know, each bead is one rep on the mantra. But, you know, it crowds out negative thinking. If I don't do something like that, my mind eventually gets drawn to you know, it, it doesn't, it keeps you present centered mm -hmm. because it either, my mind will either get drawn to things about my past that didn't go right or, you know, I didn't like or things coming up in the future called worry. Yeah. So it's either regret or worry. You don't need any of that. That's yeah. what, past is gone. Future hasn't happened. May never happen like that. Yeah. So focus on the now. Yeah. You know, uh, you know I, I've also written a lot of, poetry and songs and stuff and i wrote one that is pretty relevant to all this it's called the present and it goes the present is a micro fiction microsecond fiction now you see it now you don't i can't even put it into diction it's not even here anymore the present won't stay as time slips away <laughs> so the present is where is it? I mean, I don't even know where the present. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, we can only you can only uh, know about it as 
after it's passed. Yep. But being in the present basically means not doing anything, just being with it. You know, it's it's. But a mantra is sort of a a, a step toward that. What would be nice is just not to be thinking about anything, just be totally open to what's going on and not have any kind of internal dialogue or concept formation going on about way I think things should be yeah. or ought to be. Yeah. Just suchness. In Buddhism, they call it suchness. Yeah. You know, things as they are without you laying concept after concept onto it. Yeah. So You're- I strive for that, but you know... I'm not perfect, so I do the best I can. Most you do a good job at it. Yeah, in your new book, when you gave me this, you said, everything I know is in this one. Pretty much. The Zane Bodybuilding Manual. Yeah. this is. When will this be out? Is it out Oh, right it's now? been out about a year. Oh, dang. Yeah. Okay. I've sold a bunch of those. Okay. But really, that's that's it right there. And that and my other books, uh, uh, I have, uh, uh, the other one I gave you is called 91 Day Wonder Body, which is a workbook of what exactly to do every day for three months. Yeah, that's amazing. And a lot so of people you d- you just that. keep track of it because, you know, people ask me all the time, give me a routine. Well, you know, the best way for you to get a routine is to experiment with different things so you find out personally what's best for you. Yeah. And so in this book, I've described 18 different programs which start from full body routine, go into two-way split routine, and then three different versions of the three-way split. And it takes you through all of them in the 91-Day Wonder Body book. Yeah, if you're listening, go to frankzane.com. You'll be able to get these. Harry's read several of his books. I know it's changed him as an athlete too. Your competitive drive, how how competitive were you? Pretty competitive. Because, see, I've never seen this. A lot of ways, your demeanor reminds me of myself in that walking around all the time, you're not 100% turned on as a competitor. So it's hard for me to kind of look back and see when it was game time on that stage. Mm-hmm. You know, was there kind of a different you that came out from that? I think it was a more polished me, a more refined me, a, a me without all the the fluff that wasn't related to competing. Yeah. And I, I just had a series of goals. My goal was, first of all, to, well, win Mr. America, mm-hmm. 1966, 67, 68, I finally won it. Then my goal was to win Mr. Universe, and, and it was the next week in Miami, and I didn't <laughs> want to go in that because I said, I want to have that as my goal for next year. But they said, no, no, we want you there. So I went, and then I won it, beat Arnold. And uh, then moved to California after that. And I saw that this is the place to really accomplish my other goals. So that year after I got to to California, I won Mr. World in Belgium. Then the year after that, I won Amateur Mr. Universe in London. That was a good year because I won Amateur Mr. Universe. My wife won Miss Universe Bikini. And uh, Arnold won Professional Miss Universe. It was total California sweep that year. And that was 1970. Uh, 71, I spent the summer in South Africa training and went to the uh, NAB Universe trying to win the professional. It was in great shape because that's all I did. And Bill Pearl won it. He was probably in his best shape for Bill Pearl. Mm-hmm. You know, he was big and massive and, you know, really good posing and everything. And... Uh, you know, I, I learned a lot there about how to uh, 
act. Mm-hmm. And I learned that if if you have audacity in a contest, if you show it, and you even defy the rules to some extent, and if you get away with it, you're probably going to win. And I've seen that happen. I saw it happen with Bill Pearl in 1971. Judges asked him to show his other side, and he looked at him and said, don't be difficult. And he never did it. <laughs> and then Arnold and the Mr. Olympia in 1980, he's posing on stage, not doing the compulsory poses, doing anything he wants. And the head judge says, so Arnold, do the compulsory poses or you're, or you're disqualified. Didn't listen to him, just kept doing it. And the next day, that judge has gone back to Scotland and he's fired. <laughs> and so guess who wins that one? <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, that's the thing is... You know, I don't believe in being outrageous, but you yeah. know, if you're, if that's a sign, if you get away with that, you're probably going to win it. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be disqualified. What's the? Who were your? Uh, who were your your best three peers? Throughout, I guess probably throughout your life. I guess my wife is number one because I've been married going on fifty two years She's now, awesome. and you know, she. She gives me great advice, although I, I don't want to listen to it a lot of times because I feel like I, I'm too special for that to apply to me. But <laughs> she's right almost always. The other one would be, I have to say it's Bill Pearl. You know, I criticize him a lot, but I'll tell you, I listen to what he says because he's, he's like in his late 80s now and he's yeah. been around a while. He's the last of the Mohicans. Yeah. There's only, I think, one other guy. I talked to him the other day on the phone, Mark Forrest. Okay. Uh, who's 81. He's tell me all kind of stuff that I should do. These older guys, they just want to give you a lot of advice yeah. and everything. But Bill Pearl, he said something very right. He says, you know, as you get older, you'll train for something, you train for something. And he says, that date arrives and you'll wish you had more time. <laughs> and it's always like that. You yeah. always wish, especially as you get older, you know. I, I noticed that, you know, I used to peak in the autumn every year, like September, October. And then as I got older, I would still try to get that peak. But now it's Thanksgiving and then it's into December. <laughs> And now it's almost not at all. So, you know, th- that was very good advice. And I remember we went to see him at his gym in Pasadena, my wife and I, because we're thinking about opening up a health studio. Mm-hmm. And Bill showed us everything about what to do. Didn't hold back at all. He's always willing to give helpful advice to people. Mm-hmm. i got to say that about him. And I guess i got to say one thing about people like that. Arnold, too, uh, always gave pretty good advice unless... It was something he didn't want you to succeed at, like he said in Pumping Iron. <laughs> what about Franco? He says, well, I could always give him, give him bad advices. <laughs> bad advices. And so that's the thing. He gave me bad advice in 1980, but before that he hadn't. He gave me always good advice, yeah. you know. And so I took him on that. But, you know, basically, I remember how he put it after the contest. Uh, I was pretty upset about that. Uh, but afterwards, a couple months later, I, I saw him and we went out to breakfast and he told me this. He says, you know, and this is in the time of Ronald Reagan. He says, if Ronald, if Jimmy Carter goes up to Ronald Reagan and says, Reagan, I'm going to tell you everything that you need to know that I used to win the presidency. He said, Reagan would be a fool not to take advantage of that. And this is the classic line. <laughs> Competition is about strategy, not friendship. Get it? Get it? I'll be your friend as long as you're not competing against me, and then I'll use all of that as against you. Yep. 
Yeah. <laughs> I could never buy into that so much. My problem, I would rather win something totally on the competition, not on things surrounding it that tend to psych people out. We, we're so similar in that. Can't yeah. get into that. Yep. Yeah. That's similar to a story. I roomed with a guy one time uh, and I was, I was just doing everything I could to win my first major. And here I was in the lead group for the last day. And honestly, I felt like I was every bit ready to, to win my first major. And I went out and the first two targets were just insanely low. And the first one was a low and I only scored a five. So I'm like, I go from being in the lead to being essentially seven points down. Mm. And I was, there was no way that I was going to blame my equipment before myself. So I, I, you know, I, I was just sitting there thinking, did I knock my arrow upside down? Did I just, you know, did something happen? So I went to the next target, made the exact same shot and hit almost equally low. And so I, by then I'm 10 point, like now I'm out, I'm out of the game. And the person I was rooming with who was pretty much an idol to me back then, cause he was well into the pro ranks. I was happy just to be rooming with him. And he looked over at me and he goes, a valuable lesson, never leave your equipment out with a competitor. And he goes, you should move your peep site back where it was this yesterday. Oh. <laughs> he messed with your peep. Yeah. Oh, he boy. slid it. Yeah. While I think he must have done it while we were, you know, either while it was at the hotel or while we're, we were um, – in route and from then on it was kind of it was that moment it was a moment just like what you just said i realized this guy has gave me the best advice until the two of us are tied going into 20 targets and there's 20 grand on the line and at that point yep. it was i'm going to teach this young guy a lesson and he's going to hate me for it now but well all he wanted was him he just wanted something for himself you know, he probably was trying to justify 20, it, yeah. trying to justify it as a lesson, but it wasn't. It was just, it was being an asshole. And that's the part of competition that I don't miss. Like, I don't, I don't like that. No. It kind of brought out a different person of me. You know, I feel like there was, there was like more anger and I felt like there got to be points in my career where my competition started to become psyche and I don't know. I had a reflect. I had a personal reflection on that one time, and just said, "That's not who I really am inside. I'd rather help people than have to, you know, find a creative way to have a psyche, you know, to play out here with the other people that are that are going down those mm -hmm. those routes." And it, I don't know. That just wasn't me. You know, I know what you're saying. I I, I, I like that too. I could only really do well in a competition. When I knew I was the best, and the way I did that was by looking myself in photos that I took leading up to the competition to see exactly what I looked like. Mm -hmm. I realized nobody else did that, and when I knew what I looked like, I could get up there and project that out to the audience. But if I had the slightest doubt in my mind, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, there were times when I was like that too. 1982, I was like that. I wasn't quite sure of myself because my preparation didn't go exactly right. And sure enough, I didn't win. Yeah. I, I, I could have won, but if I would have done it a little bit different, all, all valuable lessons learned. You know, I tried to, after winning the Olympia three times, I made three more attempts to win it a fourth time. 
best I, I got a I got a nineteen what was it nineteen eighty I got third mm-hmm. eighty one I didn't compete should have eighty two I got second in eighty three I got fourth and I said to myself well I wanted to Olymp- win the Olympia four times there's my four <laughs> fourth place <laughs> and that was it that was it Such I a knew good it was way over. to look at it I too. knew it was over then I was 41 I had a torn rotator cuff you know I had surgery on it after that I said, you know now it's I'm a new stage yeah. now I'm not competing anymore I'm just working making a living helping other people to, to achieve their potential yep you told me something when I was I think I was maybe right at 31 when we first met maybe or 30 and you told me that my goal should be in better shape at 40 than I was at 30 years old. Sure. You said if that's your goal, then you're going to have a way better trajectory than trying to just say, you know, which most people do. Oh, it's January 1. I'm going to be in my best shape, you know, and that's like the New Year's resolution mentality, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just it's just setting up for failure. I don't want to tell everyone that they're going to fail because – there's a lot of people that have totally turned their lives around, but that was that was really good for me because there was times where you can't quite have the focus you need, but you didn't feel like you failed. You're like, okay, I've you know, I'm still making this climb. And what was tough for me was when my shoulder went out. Oh, I yeah. was remember that I was yeah. I I was so focused on being in my best shape at 40 than I had ever been in my life, and then the shoulder happened. And I got that surgery in February, and I remember I was pretty deflated about it because this had, it had been a nine-year vision for me. And then I, I remember getting with you at some point, and I said, I'm still going to make it. Like, I know in six months I'll be able to get back after it. And I honestly feel like um, I feel like everything in life happens for a reason, and I feel like that little – that that little bitty bump or i should call it maybe a hill of that injury with not being able to work out sitting in bed for weeks just dreading the fact that i couldn't work out and then being in rehab was it was almost the push that i needed to even be better than what i want what i thought i would have been at 40 because there was this regimen and there was this drive to make sure I got back to where Mm -hmm. I was. And in that process of just trying to get back to where I was, I went past where I was. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I mean, I I was thankful for it happening when it did. Yeah. A learning experience. Well, Frank, this has been awesome. I, I really hope people listen back to this and, and read between the lines. There's so many people out there that every single day they, they're scrolling through some type of a Google search to find motivation. And honestly, I feel like things like this, if they, it's like a movie that's much deeper than you really, than you originally watch it and think, Oh, that was a good movie. And then all of a sudden someone ever says, did you ever see this movie? Yeah, it was a good movie. And you watch it again and you start picking up these little things. And so much of the notes that I took from you and you know, your, your monthly, you know, your monthly newsletters and stuff that you did, it's like you can go back through that stuff and you start to pick up on all these little nuggets that 
they change who you are as a person. And as soon as that happens, it changes who you are as an athlete, as a husband, as a dad, as sure. an employee, um, everything. And I think people just fall in this rut of not really, you know, they just fall in a rut of misery. Like, like you walking out to your tanning chair and all of a sudden something happens. And instead of them waking up and realizing, Oh, this is, this is actually something I've been telling myself to do. They say, I always have the bad luck, right? Then the right when they say that, you know, once you vocalize it, it's already happening. It's already behavior. Your body hears every word you say, and so does the universe. And so I think that once you get that initial motivation, like I did with Bob Hoffman telling me about, you know, could walk around without his shirt on. Yeah. I use that as my prime motivation, but stick with it. Yeah. It's all about perseverance. You want something, keep doing it. Yeah. That's what I did. And that's maybe one of my problems. I can't stop doing things. <laughs> I keep doing them. I love it. But I get better at it. You know, I mean, I I, I find I have it down to these, this niche of things that I, I do pretty well and I like doing. And I don't really attempt much other than that. But I keep getting better and better at it. And as a result, uh, you know, I get satisfaction and I attract clients and people that way too. So it's, it's a good thing. You know, and, and another thing too is, don't be discouraged by losses because actually losses are better than winning because when you lose something, you get to go back to it and with the same game plan, with an improved game plan. Yeah. But when you win, you say, oh, I'm one, I'm the greatest, I'm champ, I'm going to relax now. Wrong, but that's what happens when you win. Yeah. And so when you when you lose, you still have the same, if you're not really losing, you're learning. Yeah. It's the same game plan. Better game plan next time, and then, you know, that, that goal you've been after is very likely to materialize. Yeah, I tell people that. I said I feel like it's more valuable for especially parents that are constantly looking over the shoulder of their kids that they're wanting to compete. They just, you know, they're like, you know, you got to win this, all that. And I've told parents, I'm like, the best thing you can do for your kid is allow them to learn how to lose yeah. before you – before you teach them how to win and what you said there was spot on that's a perfect way to end it thanks i've Frank. lost a lot more than i've won yeah, <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> learned it learned yep. yep me too sure. and the wins were um they were bittersweet because of it too and uh and i feel like it i feel like it was enough uh -huh. honestly sure you know but thank you so much. My pleasure, Appreciate John. Appreciate it. It was awesome. And we'll see you later, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com.